When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Sports fans, today is Sunday, May 7th. This is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, and I am Coach Nick. You in? Greetings, everybody. Welcome to episode number 208 of Celtics Beat. And I'm Coach Nick of B-Ball Breakdown, filling in for Larry H. Russell. And uh, I'm pleased to bring on the show today Candace Buckner, who is the Washington Post sports reporter who covers the Wizards. And Candace, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Coach Nick. <laughs> I, it's weird I, to be on a different platform talking to you. It is. Like, but nonetheless... <laughs> Uh, I, I might not ask you if you're in, but uh, I will. We'll have a similar conversation, and you know we got to jump out and talk a little bit about Celtics and the Wizards. Uh, I'm kind of curious to hear your take on this. I've heard a lot of Celtics uh, opinions these days. Um, how do you feel after Game Three? I feel that um, the Wizards really are evenly matched with the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. And even even after they fell into a 0-2 hole, um, I felt that there were enough signs to show that this team, the Wizards, can play with the Celtics. Not only because, you know, they split the regular season, each team, uh, you know, protecting their home court. So no team has won on the other end. Um, but also, if you remember those both, both games in Boston, uh, the Wizards set up, huge leads in the first quarter great jumps and it's difficult to play in TD Garden because those fans are so passionate and so into it I remember in game one when they started off 16 and 0 you know there were some aggravation uh, agitation I I guess in in the stands but then you started hearing those let's go Celtics chants because they were desperate to pull their team out of the lump so uh, long answer short I, I feel like um, what they did in games one and two, they were able to put all together in game three, um, get off to that big lead, but also maintain it. And that's something they didn't do in Boston. So I think they're evenly matched. My prediction beforehand was this series was going to go seven seven games. And after um, Thursday's night Thursday night's game, I still believe that. Um, I, I hear you loud and clear, and it definitely felt like, and I'm wondering what they were saying in the Wizards locker room, but certainly coming down, uh, coming back home down 0-2, I would imagine no one was really hanging their head and feeling very bad about that because of what you said. It seemed like uh, you know, they, they felt like they, it was just a couple plays here or there, and they could have easily been at least 1-1, right? Yeah, 
Right. I mean, especially in, in game two, when you not only did they have a big early lead, they had a big late lead and they and they lost it. But, you know, you kind of waste uh, John Wall's 40 and 13 game um, as, you know, as I scored 53. So on Thursday, um, even though Bradley Bill didn't have like a great shooting game, um, the way that he started was huge. And scoring the seven, uh, the seven opening points for the Wizards, um, it showed that. You know, he had his three, he had his aggression, and he was setting the tone. Oubre, I'm sorry, not Oubre, but uh, we'll get to Oubre, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, Otto Porter, the other junior, Otto Porter Jr., um, he had a great first quarter. And finally, they got some consistent scoring off the bench with Boyan Boganovich. Um, I think the big thing with him is he probably needs to play a lot more with the starters because there's just not a lot of spacing um, happening on that second unit. Um so whenever he gets an opportunity to play with Brad and with John, he's going to be able to cook. You know, that's a, a really great point and worthy of like looking at the lineup data to see how he does with those guys because I, I think the Celtics fans probably want to um, put their hands on their hips and say, you know, he ain't going to score 19 points again in a playoff game. Uh, what would your response be to that? Well, I would say um, not so fast, my friend. <laughs> I, I, I think Scott Brooks has to get – really creative and send him on maybe as the sixth man, just as he did um, in game three. Uh, and I only say that with Boyan, he has the potential to, to score. I mean, it, this, this is not like, Oh my gosh, that's, you know, this is like the biggest game he's going to have. He has the potential to break it out. When he first got here, um, got to Washington after the, um, the, the trade, you know, he started off kind of easy enough, a couple games in the teens but then he had a, he had a, a couple um, a couple games in which uh, and back to back um, 27 29 and he was shooting and he was making a crazy amount of threes. So when he's on, he can be a guy that I'm not going to say 19 all the time, but he's definitely going to get you in the um, double digits. And I think he's going to make multiple threes, which gives them a, a third shooter. And sometimes I, I would even put him over Otto Porter. Interesting. Wow. I mean, because Otto Porter, you know, was a revelation. And let, let's get to him. I've actually been waiting for him to break out uh, since he started in the league. And, um, you know, when he waiting is going like that. What's that? You've been waiting a long time, then. Uh, yeah, it's been a while. I mean, he's finally, you know, those legs were really skinny coming out of college. He looked <laughs> like he needed to eat a little bit. And uh, and now, look, he's kind of blossoming. So uh, this is – I don't know. Are you surprised that he was able to do – to be that strong, like in the thick of the second round of the playoffs? Or, or is this enough what you've seen this year that led you to believe, oh, he was going to be able to do it under the high-pressure stuff? Well, you know, um, uh, my I, I see these guys under only under the scope of the 2016-2017 season because that's the uh, this is my first year with them. So I I actually thought um, he would be able. I thought he would be um, he would kind of break out in the playoffs, and that really hasn't happened because after All Star break, you know, he went into All Star break leading the league in three point field goal percentage, and then trailed off. Mm-hmm. I had a couple games really out of the gates early where his shot was wonky, kind of got back to it a little bit, but never really had the stroke or or took the shots that he that he had, you know, for those first 50 or so games. And I thought, OK, well, maybe after a few games off and, you know, he did kind of go into the um, postseason a bit banged up, but he had a couple days off. I figured, you know, 
he'll be rejuvenated. That didn't happen um, immediately. Uh, he didn't take a whole, I mean, through, through the Atlanta series, the most shots that he took was 10. And to me, he is their number three option, no doubt. Especially mm-hmm. when you look at that, uh, that Atlanta series when Marquise Morris was so injury play, I'm sorry, foul play. And, um, and marching Gortat was kind of a, a, a non-factor offensively. So for him to, to be so limited, and I think he was limiting himself too. I, I, I was a little surprised that he didn't come uh, with more force in the, um, in, the, in, in, the, in the playoffs. But, you know, Thursday, 8 of 13, he did miss all his threes, but, you know, 19 points and eight rebounds, um, three steals, uh, great. That's a, that's a great performance out of Otto. For sure. And like, you know, that, that one of those really big X factors for the Wizards. And, you know, the thing with the Celtics has plagued them all year long has been rebounding issues. Uh, you know, they, they play small. Horford uh, hasn't been as effective as they'd like him to be down there. Uh, however, in the first round, they were able to kind of play even and really, you know, not get out-rebounded by a lot uh, against um, – uh, in the first round. So the question now is, is, you know, game three, for instance, they got out rebounded 50 to 38. Uh, what are you seeing on that down low? That's uh, giving them such a, the Wizards such a big advantage. Well, um, um, Gortat, you know, stepped up and when they, when they go small, it's, he said in his post game conference, post game press conference, I've got to dominate. So <laughs> he, he realized his advantage. The only thing is, you know, those first two games uh, strangely enough, even when Boston was going small, um, they were beating the Wizards uh, on the offensive glass, and to me that was a surprise. And that um, I was, I, you know, Mar- Morris was, you know, slightly uh, hobbled because of the injury, but um, they, I thought they still would have that advantage, and it wasn't until Game Three um, when you know Gortat, um, who's again for the for uh, the second straight series, at times will be the only true center on the court, um, and so at that at those times he really has to he really has to sure has to. I, I was trying to find a way to say you know live up to his words, but I, I guess I, I can't be that clever right now. But no. he, he has to you know live up to his words and you know dominate when they go small. Yeah. Now here's another problem though, because it seems like it, it, the matchup with him guarding uh, Horford is a little bit difficult for him because Horford wants to try and space the floor and get behind the three-point line. So uh, are, the, are the Wizards talking about that at all, or are they just happy for, with Horford, even though he's shooting out of his mind from back there? Are they just willing to let him take those? Uh, I would imagine they will allow that more so than um, making uh, letting Isaiah go off. Um, and it, it's funny because before Game 3, Scott Brooks half jokingly said, "You know, we tried everything against Isaiah, except we haven't tried a triple team." LOL, ha ha ha. <laughs> well, after Game Three, and it is funny that Isaiah mentioned, "You know, they had three guys on me at times." Well, if three guys has to stop little Isaiah Thomas, then then so be it. And I think they would give the Jay Crowder threes. They will give the Al Horford threes. Try. To, take those percentages, but get the ball out of Isaiah uh, Thomas's hands. Right. I mean, that, that seems to be a lot easier said than done. Um, are you seeing anything that's interesting that the, um, the Celtics are trying to run to kind of get Isaiah open a little bit more or to avoid that? Because cl- clearly until la- game three, you know, it, they haven't been able to do anything to stop him. Yeah, I, I, um, 
There were just a couple of times I just remember it, it was just so, so intelligent. Uh, in game two, if Markeith Morris is going to be on that floor, you know that he has, he was just cleared moments before the game um, after a sprained ankle. And if he's going to be on that floor, test the man out. And for them to get so many switches um, for Isaiah Thomas to get on Markeith Morris, that's a nightmare for him on any, on any day, let alone a day when your ankle is bothering you. Um, so wh- that wasn't that wasn't the case in Game Three, but uh, that action you know, from Brad Stevens and then just you know the Celtics, just extremely smart. Get them get those mismatches, mismatches because Isaiah Thomas will will win that you know ninety percent of the time. And something else you'll win one hundred percent of the time is making food delivered right to your door from our friends over at Blue Apron. They're like the Boston Celtics of fresh ingredient and recipe delivery services, number one. Just like a good NBA team, you need chemistry. And that's what cooking is, both with the preparation of their fresh, high-quality ingredients and by bringing your family together to cook. I just prepared Parmesan-crusted chicken, and it had me using oh-so-tasty fromage blanc. That's right, I'm speaking French. And these meals cost less than 10 bucks per person delivered right to your door with the exact amount of food pre-measured for you and you'll never see a repeat recipe for a whole year. Head over to blueapron.com slash coachnick and you'll get your first three meals absolutely free. Even the shipping is free. It's like Kyrie nailing a three to finish the comeback last year. Only you just need to type in blueapron.com slash coachnick instead. Much less pressure here, sports fans. So check out our friends over at Blue Apron today and begin a life of culinary fulfillment. Wait, did I leave the oven on? Now, since you brought it up, uh, is there any truth to the rumor that Marcus (laughs) Morris played for Markeith in that game because he looked so spry on that really bad ankle? You know, I, and I and I totally um, probably led to the conspiracy theory in my in my in the post game press conference. I asked uh, John, "So, what did you guys get from Marcus? I'm sorry, get from Markeith today?" <laughs> and I totally totally mistake, but um, apparently smooth. I guess that's what um, Marcus calls Markeith. Apparently smooth is a tough dude and just played through it. So. All right, so so we shouldn't read anything. The fact that like he, you know, the bro- his brother was in the stands watching the game, the first game, and then all of a sudden was like not around for the game too. Where's Marcus? Right, right. Uh, <laughs> I would be shady enough if I was in the Wizards. I would absolutely be shady enough to send Marcus out there. But <laughs> apparently they're playing by the rules, and Markeep just seems to be a tough dude. Yeah, uh, I agree, and he was a tough dude. And like, I don't know what he could have done against that one. Uh, one of my uh, tweets that went viral with that video of him. Um, well, not only was it that did he cross him over and then pull up, and you know that's the hardest part because you know the crossover is one part, but you got to hit the shot. Like he still had to hit the 17, 18 footer, and then the fact that he stared at him the whole way down. <laughs> way. You know, and like even more so, and I, I, I have no doubt that Markeith knew that he was being stared at, even though he wouldn't like he wouldn't even look at him. You know what I mean? That's you know that's like a hidden talent of NBA players. Dennis Schroeder did that a couple times in the in the first round. Just their ability to act like they are not being mean mugged for ninety four <laughs> feet. That is that is really good. John Wall and even said the you know what the you know what the f you you trying to do, boy, something like that. Um, and you can read his lips and you know exactly what he said. But Dennis Schroeder was skillfully ignoring that gaze. That's Kudos to basketball players. Yeah. 
Well, there was there was a lot going on, I think, between those two. And maybe All you can right. fill us in a little bit because, you know, I mean, sir, I know Isaiah. You know, he's a really nice guy and he's pretty, you know, mellow in that respect. I mean, he's a bulldog, but he's mellow. And I know that, like, it, there was some point where there was, uh, I believe it was Marquis, like, kind of pushed him away. Do you know what that was all about? Uh, like Isaiah was trying to go over to the bench of the Wizards or something like that? Okay, I didn't see, you know, that whole replay. But just knowing that through a regular season of heated battles, the teams don't like each other. Okay, that we'll start with that. And and how Marquis started the game by shoving Al Horford into the crowd. And that was his retaliation because he believed that Al Horford likely stepped under his foot and caused the sprained ankle. But um, the play before uh, the, the double technicals between Marcus, I'm shocked, there I go again, Marquise yeah. and Isaiah, um, Isaiah had inadvertently caused Otto Porter's nose stability. Yeah. And so that, that caused some, some uh, riffraff and six foot 10 Marquise Morris decided to get into the, uh, the mug of Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> It's funny because it reminds me of, you know, Isaiah wanted to give a high five to maybe like CP3 and then his teammate at the time, uh, Boogie, was like yanking him around. It's like he's, he's just a pinball out there. Uh, I, and I would suspect that Isaiah might have gone over there to say, hey, like, I, I didn't, I'm sorry. Because, you, know, you know, the thing with Isaiah is the closer you are to him and you're trying to defend him, his head is so much lower than everybody else's, right? It's just going to end up, you know, getting a, a huge uh, momentum before it connects with something. And, you know, it's unfortunate, but I think that's, that he's probably used to that. Right. And how, much, how tall is he really? And I haven't really, I mean, 5'9", he cannot be 5'9". Yeah, you know, it's funny because I, I interviewed him and I did, I did a little joke. This is back when he was in Sacramento. And, I mean, I'm six feet. Uh, I'm looking down on him. I mean, he, I, I, you know, uh, I, yeah, he's he's not 5'9". He's probably like, yeah, I'm like 5'8", or something like that or something, you know. See? But, again, and it's just even more, more, he's more impressive than any other. And maybe we could talk about this for a second. I actually tweeted it out and got a lot of crap on Twitter where – I'm actually more impressed by the way he scores than a guy like Iverson. Hmm. Now, Iverson was taller. I mean, right, he was legit like six feet, I think, right? I mean, you know, I, hadn't, I yeah, never stood next know, to him. Iverson had the, the, the special sauce, the crossover, um, the, the major dribbling uh, skills. And, you know, according to Fred Hoiberg, you know, Mr. Thomas is up here carrying every time he touches the ball. <laughs> but I think um, – Maybe maybe just I uh, maybe Iverson just had that woo factor. Like every time he touched the ball, it was like something he was going to do something with it. Right. But. Yeah. And, and my take on it is is that you know he's okay. So he's already shorter. There's no question he's shorter. Doesn't jump nearly as high. And that was obviously one thing that was amazing about Iverson was that he was an athlete. He could really get off the floor, but he wasn't very efficient. And, you know, Isaiah Thomas is much more efficient than him. I got to check the numbers, but certainly looking in these playoffs and what he's doing now, he is. And uh, I don't know. It's just that I guess it doesn't take anything away from AI necessarily, but it's just I am more impressed by that guy uh, and probably more impressed than Muggsy Bowes. And then, uh, and um, oh my God, who won the, the dunk contest? Uh, uh, Nate Robinson? Oh, no, Nate too. But no, no I'm going way farther back. Oh, Spud uh, Webb? Spud Webb, my gosh, thank you. You know, Can those guys. What's that? Can I say a dunk? I, I haven't haven't really noticed his lift. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I would, I don't think so. <laughs> I would be surprised if he could dunk. But you, you know, some of those guys are crazy hops too. But but he doesn't, he doesn't look like he could. He doesn't need it. By the way, that's the other thing. So what are we? What are the are, are the warrior? Are the wizards just like? Um, 
are they frustrated when they're trying to guard? Um, what are the, some of the quotes that you're hearing about trying to guard this guy and what they can try and do to stop him? Um, be more physical. Mm-hmm. And I think they were able in game three, and they need to carry that over tonight, um, <laughs> of just touching touching him, making sure that they that their presence is felt, you know? So uh, get away with being more physical. And I think, you know, just the, the, the NBA playoff adage is, you know, whoever strikes first, whoever shows that they're the aggressor first, they kind of get away with more stuff. I, ca- I kind of doubt, considering what happened in game three, man, it's an 8 p.m. start, and the whistles will probably stall this game into uh, the, the point of boredom. Uh, because it's going to be heavily officiated, but you have to be physical with uh, Tony Parker. And and um, again, it sounds cliche, but um, the best defense on um, Isaiah is making him play defense. And uh, a couple of times they got I, they got Otto Porter on um, got him on the post. So if they're trying to hide him um, on the quote unquote you know just wing guy who just spot up and shoot. Well, that, that wing guy has to do more than just spot up. He, got, he has to take him down to the post. He has to make him work. Yeah. I, you know, I have been saying earlier on other shows that the, the, the fear of an offense that wants to go after like a smaller point guard, that the problem you might have is that all of a sudden you have a point guard on your team that's like posting up but never normally posts up. And now everyone's sort of mis, you know, misconfigured on the court, and it oftentimes doesn't work. Uh, but it, def- it definitely looked pretty good for Wall, right? Like he was trying to back him down, and they were forcing double teams. And, um, you know, is that like, Wall doesn't post up that much in the regular season. It didn't look like to me. But uh, how comfortable do you feel like he is down there doing that? Yeah, he hasn't posted up that much. I mean, I remember a few times. But going back to the first round series, um, there were some times when they had practices and John Wall was the last person on the court practicing um, some some back down moves. And, of course, that was to um, to try to abuse uh, Dennis Schroeder. I didn't see that too often in the first round series, but he at least that's at least part of his repertoire when he wants to break it out. And I, I know it's not something that they can just rely on. But every now and then, if um, Isaiah is going to guard John Wall, um, you know, why not try it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and if no, they can force they can those, those double teams, teams uh, depending uh, on who's depending guarding, on who's like guarding, that's going like to really help. Uh, you know, guys like Porter, and and then even yeah, right. If they get a chance to get Bogdanovich in there with those guys and him as well, so uh, I'm also curious. Like, is it as startling to you when you're down there live, uh, seeing John Wall uh, push the ball uh, off the dribble down the court as fast as he goes? I would say absolutely, especially. Um, doing a one doing that one plane and just and just I just don't understand how he's able to have the control the body control uh presence of mind and the athleticism um game 3 against the uh against the Hawks he's, he he grabs a rebound or or gets the outlet pass and and breakneck breakneck speed down the court uh eludes shooter with a behind-the-back dribble uh, or going around the world, and that wasn't just for show. That was to that was necessary. And in the same motion, mm-hmm. get ready to take off and slam slam it home. That's that's a play you don't see every day. Oh, and even oh. when I wasn't covering the Wizards, I just remember thinking, I you know I used to cover the Pacers when the Pacers played the Wizards. I just remember thinking, like, oh my gosh, he really is that fast. 
Yeah, and I asked him about that too, and he just sort of shrugged. It was like I, I, I didn't train any particular way, and just, I happened to be fast. Uh, but it, it, you know, but sometimes when he does do that behind the back, it really ends up being like the best way to attack the hoop and not get stripped. And it's, it's. I think that as we, the new fundamentals uh, take hold in the NBA and, and trickle down, I mean, we're we're going to probably start seeing that more. And and that, that's why I, I know it looks fancy and it is fancy, and he's that good to pull it off. But a lot of times, it really is the only way to do it. And, um, you know, I just want to interrupt here for one second to make sure everybody here knows that CLNS Radio uh, on YouTube, CLNS Media on the YouTube channel, is doing these really great uh, raw and uncut uh, videos from the locker room with the interviews of the uh, coaches and the players from both teams. And if you want to check that out, if you're, you know, Celtics fans would love this kind of stuff, it's right from, you know, the locker room, then check out the YouTube channel with CLNS Media. And uh, you'll get your fill uh, and more over there. And uh, anyway, and Candice, you're no stranger to that locker room. Um, uh, how um, I, I have to imagine is the interest for this um, series more than it was? Do you see like more reporters and more hype uh, than you did in the first round? I would say so, but you know, considering the Celtics have a large contingent, and even on like you know one of the off days, you'll see a lot from CSN. New England and Boston Globe, uh, Boston Herald, and all the other, mm-hmm. all, all their other outlets. So I would say for sure. I mean, there are only eight teams remaining, but you know, you add in a major market like Boston, and there's so much attention on the Celtics um, in that market. It's just a great sports city, um, you know, plain and simple. So it, it's crowded these days. Yeah, Nick. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, well, let's talk about you know Game Four uh, tonight's game because you know we we got a little bit of taste here. You mentioned you, you think it's going to be chippy, and uh, it's also a strange start time in theory for a Sunday. Although I don't know if the uh, players' bodies notice days like that. Usually they play what like a three o'clock game or a five o'clock game on a Sunday. So um, you know you know aside from the officiating, which I agree, I think it's going to be. I would hope that they would come in and they call a couple fouls in the beginning and tell these players what's up, and that'll be it. But you don't, I don't know if it's going to work. But uh, what else do you see? What are some of the intriguing things that you might see that we're looking for in these matchups coming up? And you know what? Um, I'm totally tripping, um, Nick. It is a 6.30 p.m. start Eastern Standard Time. Oh, um, I'm, oh. I had to you know, finally book a flight and hotel for game five. And so 8 p.m. start was on my, my mind uh, there. All right. <laughs> okay. So Good. Well, getting that, that out of the way, correcting myself, what was the question again? So the question is, you know, if we, if we set aside like the chippiness and the referee stuff, which we'll expect right. to see, you know, uh, what, what's, what are some of the intriguing, you know, matchup stuff that we should be looking at that, uh, that you know, the teams are want to control? All right. Um, Bradley on Bill. And I love saying that. Avery Bradley on Bradley Bill. Um Bradley Bill still hasn't had like a great consistent stretch where his shot has matched. Um, and he, he has a funny quote from the first series. My rhythm was good. My shot sucked. So he had, <laughs> his shot has not matched his rhythm. And he's still playing out there. He, you know, that massive flop he took in game three. Hey, he was still engaged. But he hasn't <laughs> had a consistent stretch where he's where he's where his shot he's looked like what they call him Baby Ray, as in Baby Ray Allen. And when you're def- when you're playing typically against Avery Bradley, and and he's the one who likes to touch, and he's the one that likes to get your hands on him, against gets gets his hands on you and make sure that you fill him. That's going to be difficult. Um, but uh, of course, the the Wizards do not want to go 
to Boston in a three-one hole. And I think that matchup, Bradley Bill has to have more than just you know that seven points. Burt has to do a little bit more offensively. They they really didn't need him in Game Three because they got so much from Otto and Boyan and uh, of course Wall and and you know thirteen points from um, uh, Martian Gortat. It's pretty big. But um, I'm I'm curious to see if uh, Bradley Bill can kind of figure out, you know, his game against one of the best perimeter defenders in the game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's shooting okay, but certainly from behind the line, he's really struggling. Right, right. exactly. And that's where you're going to get it when you're off rhythm, and he's just got you got you a little bit off, and you know you're rushing to try and get the shot off when you feel like you're open. Uh, so it, that is very a very intriguing matchup as well, uh, and I, I'm going to be watching for that too. Um, that you know, before we get to a couple of the other interesting things about these uh, the chippiness that I want to talk about uh, the, the 22-0 run. In the first quarter, that basically ended the game in Game Three. You know, were the Wizards aware that, like, other than that little run, it was an even game? Uh, Good point. I don't know if um, they were asked about that. That you know, everything was over the the ejection and the technicals um, overshadowing uh, Mm -hmm. much of that. But they were they were just pleased that they were able to get out to a good start and maintain it. But no, that's a, that's an excellent point. Yeah. I mean, if I were the Celtics, I'd be looking at that and saying, you know, okay, we had a, and by the way, they, the Celtics had some pretty good shots, especially in the very big first half of that run where they just kind of missed them. And you make a couple of those and maybe that run doesn't get so bad. But like after that, it was almost, almost even like a couple points either way. And, you know, I, I would almost think that that would be a cause for the Celtics to say, well, Hey, you know, just, just like the wizards felt like, you know, we know, we know we're down two Oh, but that, was close uh you know the Celtics were kind of right there as well so um I mean again I think what we're trying to say is that this is going seven games right right and even in that 22-0 run um you know Isaiah Thomas scored zero uh yeah. of course of course in that 22 <laughs> in a 22-0 run Isaiah Thomas scored zero of course he didn't but he wasn't a factor is what I'm saying yeah he didn't score until late in the first quarter when he got to the free throw line so um I don't you know, everybody's going to have a bad game in the playoffs, and I don't suspect Isaiah will, you know, basically right. have to get on the board late in the first quarter with a free throw uh, come game four. Yeah, and it was a very strange game. I mean, you know, the game kind of like – everyone kind of looked like they gave up. Like midway through the third quarter, like, okay, it's a blowout. We're just going to go on to game four. But uh, although <laughs> some people didn't give up. Brandon Jennings uh, didn't didn't want to give up, even though they were up, uh, and he seemed to be instigating. And so I, I was really really critical of him. Uh, I thought that his energy was almost like manic and sort of misplaced. Uh, even in the other games too, he just seemed to kind of come out, and I, I just wasn't responding well to how he was, his energy and his body language and all those things. So I'm kind of curious what your thoughts were on the whole Rozier, uh, you know, d- uh, incident and how that played out. Yeah, for some reason, um, well, that's his that's his matchup. But for some reason, you know, Brandon Jennings going after a second year player. Um, that's the way that he feels that he can impact the game, um, try to change things. But at that point, you know, the the atmosphere had already been changed by you know Kelly Oubre's uh, charge on uh, Olenek. But you know, that's that's just part of Brandon's game. It could be uh, pesky, it's, uh, annoying. He could be a troll. But um, you know, when it's working. Um, the, the Wizards will live with it. 
Okay, fair okay. enough. I mean, yeah. I just thought it was weird because they were up by 20. And, you know, the kind of place where you want to get in someone's head, usually it's like what Olenek did. Like you, you set a hard screen and or, you know, that kind of thing. And this was like, you know, usually when you step up to somebody, it's because you're the one who got fouled and you're not happy with how hard the foul was. But instead, he stepped up to him. But like, apparently... There is some history, right? Going back into the regular season, I feel like I was reading something a bit between Rozier and Jennings that I'm blanking on. Do you know? Do you remember what I'm talking about? It must have been when he was with the uh, the Knicks because I need to. Uh, they, uh, they played one game. I, well, I'm sorry, Brandon only played one one of the you know series games. Yes. That, that definitely sounds even more familiar now that I'm thinking about it. So, yeah. Uh, now, let's talk about the Ubre thing then because, did, I mean, you know, what did you feel? Did, were, were they, did anybody in the Wizards or do you feel like, you know, it was excessively dirty and trying to hurt somebody? Uh, Olenek? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, after the game, of course, Scott Brooks was the, was watching his words, but he, he said – several things that that stood out you know we're just trying to play basketball making sure that he puts the emphasis that the wizards are trying to play basketball um and that that leads you room to leads you room to interpret that are the celtics now playing basketball uh, he also said that the uh the refs made the right call on that play considering that they called that they called that uh that screen illegal there were there were other times when i know i know that he's referring to that um, you know, Olenek got his hand up, hands up uh, onto um, onto Kelly, uh, like upper body, maybe even above above the neck, and uh, got his hip out, or got his shoulder out, hmm. and it's it's those little touch plays that where you put in some some you know some some extra extra stuff on it, and that's what he was referring to. And also, um, you know, Brooks said that I don't um, I don't think he should react it that way, but. You know, I understand why he reacted that way. So uh, obviously they think that Olenek was doing some extra stuff. Okay, fair enough. I mean, you know, he's got a little bit of the history and uh, I'm not so sure. I feel like maybe it's because he's Canadian or something or the man bun. (laughs) It doesn't strike me as dirty because dirty to me is is premeditated and like really the intent to injure and like, you know, hip or whatever, that kind of stuff. I I don't know if that's like he's I'm I'm going out there to take that guy out. Like, I don't think it's I don't feel that necessarily. But I mean, I could be wrong, but um, it it sounds like at the very least the Wizards are like got a are are raising an eyebrow at it. Right, for sure. And. (laughs) <laughs> it's because he's Canadian. Um, but he has a history, Nick, as, as you know. Um, so, I don't, yeah. I, I, I don't know. No worries. Well, uh, you know, I think let's let's talk about how this series is going to play out beyond Game Four because we will we will have at least uh, you know five games, and I imagine it goes longer. So, if it goes to seven games, let's just say, who are you picking? With home court advantage, I would say. Uh, Boston would be uh, Boston would be the choice. Home court, neither team has won on the um, on the other court so far, and man, they, they they're just a different team inside TD Garden. Yeah, um, you know, I've noticed that the, the only way the Celtics are going to beat the Wizards is outscoring them. That's kind of what it feels like. They don't really have any defense to hang their hat on. And that's the only thing that gives me pause about the Celtics, even about can they actually do that? Because it's a little bit, you know, from a coach's perspective, a little scary to say to, to have to rely on that, right? Like I know I, I don't know if I'm going to get like the four stops in a row I'm going to need in the fourth quarter of one of these games. Um, and so, you know, it, would you agree with me? It's safe to say that the Wizards probably have more like overall talent 
on the basketball court. Was that that's fair? Yeah, but I I still think the Celtics may have more depth and whatever they're getting out of um, those bench guys when Olenek or Rozier or if shoot if they put Johnson into the rotation, just sometimes they just feel like I just feel like they get more out of their their bench guys than the Wizards get out of their six through nine. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even sure Brad Stevens would recognize Amir Johnson anymore the way this is going. So <laughs> we'll we'll see if uh, if he even like you know has an impact at all in the rest of the series. But uh, it's certainly been really entertaining. It's my I think it's my favorite second round series of all of them. I mean, we got a you know a couple that are going to be sweeps probably, so that doesn't count. But nonetheless, uh, this has been really an intriguing series. Um, any final thoughts you leave us with as we wrap up? Um, I you know I I just hope that the the referees definitely contain the game you know no no silliness but not take over because I felt like uh, too often in the Atlanta series especially after guys start talking about MMA and double and double MMA um, <laughs> the whistles took over the game so yeah. I would just love a great nasty hard fought playoff game without too much influence from the referees. Oh, I agree. That would be terrific, and hopefully they send the right crew that can handle it, and uh, and we get a good, clean, solid game. All, the rest of the series would be great. Right. So, uh, well, Candace, thank you so much for joining us, and you know, don't forget this is this is Candace Buckner who writes for the Washington Post as a sports reporter covering the Wizards. Uh, Candace, where do we find you on Twitter? I am at Candace B as in dog Buckner. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you for coming on the show and offering your insider insights. It was fantastic stuff. And uh, I know the Celtics fans are going to get a real treat uh, out of getting the other perspective uh, on this one. So uh, we'll wait to see what happens tonight in the big game. And thanks, everyone, for joining us. Uh, Once again, I'm Coach Nick uh, of B-Ball Breakdown, which you should check out my channel as well. We have a great podcast and some really great videos. In fact, we did one on Isaiah Traveling after uh, uh, Hoiberg had called him out, which has uh, gotten a lot of runs. So check that out if you can over at B-Ball Breakdown. And uh, again, it's Coach Nick filling in for Larry H. Russell. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. So-